Welcome to Season 2 of Scottsdale Frame of Mind, hosted by Scottsdale Leadership. I'm Andrew Volkmer, joined here by co-host Jenna Cole. As many of you know, Scottsdale Leadership is your inside view into the people that make our community special. Hey, Andrew, how's it going today? It's going pretty good. Good, good. It's it's nice to be back here for Season 2, and you know, reflecting on Season 1, we have been so fortunate to sit down with some amazing Scottsdale leaders who really have impacted our community in ways large and small. Uh, Any favorite takeaways from season one? Well, there was a lot of good ones. Um, A few things I've kind of jotted down. I just never say no, right? I think that's what we've learned from a lot of our leaders. If an opportunity presents itself, just do it. There's nothing to lose. How about yourself, Jenna? You know, something similar. I think, you know, all of the the folks that we spoke to were really passionate about what they do. I think about Brian Bednar, who had all of his Fiesta Bowl get up his spiffy jacket, his socks. I love how he is all in and so dedicated. I actually signed up to volunteer at the next Fiesta Bowl that very day that we interviewed him and uh, Fire Chief Tom Shannon. Um, I love that his spirit animal was the Wolverine. Uh, But, you know, he also talked about how neat his role is and for firefighters getting to help um, people turn their worst days around. And, and I saw Fire Chief Shannon was one of the first people to help roll out the vaccine. Yep, so that was true leadership special. right there. Yeah. True leadership. And and really how selfless le- these leaders are, Rachel Sackow, Nick Molinari, you know, and, and what they had to do to kind of pivot during the pandemic. And um, and I, Rachel Sacco's term, co-opetition, uh, working together you know, even with competitors, how can I help you? And it always comes back to you. So certainly an inspiring first season. Yeah. And of course, our first, very first guest we had, Andy Greenwood, our classmate, his inspiring story was awesome too. I still think about that. Right. With his uh, bone marrow transplant mm-hmm, from his mm-hmm. sister. And, um, and so we're going to kick season two off in the same fashion. But before we introduce our guest, a leading question Uh, How did you do in history class in high school, Andrew? Well, believe it or not, I was actually kind of a whiz, like a history history buff until the sciences kind of took over and got to college and maybe kind of lost a little of my history. Loved World War II history, though. I remember growing up as a kid, like I'd I'd get like books about World War II, which maybe is kind of weird, but... Lately, it's uh, maybe I'm a little bit rusty. <laughs> well, I think our, today's guest is going to uh, freshen our, our history memory here. And history is really important to me. My my dad was a history teacher. I actually had him as a teacher junior year in high school for AP U.S. History. But that is a story for another episode. <laughs> um, so, so today's guest is the expert on Scottsdale's history and more. Uh, she is an author. She is a communications executive. She gives lectures. She advocates for preservation. She's a consultant. Um, she is a member of numerous commissions, committees, and nonprofits. We're very pleased to welcome Joan Fadala. Thank you for being here with us. I'm so honored to be with you all and uh, to know that you both like history. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and Scottsdale has a rich history. And, and even part of Scottsdale leadership, one of the most favorite days from everybody that goes through Scottsdale leadership is History Day. It's it's legendary. And we just had that um, recently for Class 35. You're a huge part of leading that day. You give an overview of Scottsdale's history to class members. What are you trying to impart to the class when, when you give that lecture? Well, first of all, I, I, not everybody is like you too. And when you say history, their eyes glaze over and they feel like they're going to have a test on the dates and the, you know, how to spell certain right. hard names and whatever. So I, I almost like to introduce myself as a retropreneur or a nostalgist mm-hmm. rather than, than a historian because sometimes, and no offense to my fellow historians, but sometimes that, that automatically turns people's ears off. So I think that the most important things that I try to impart during History Day is that 
and using the term that that a lot of people use now, we have had so many influencers, really significant influencers in Scottsdale, and that the new class is the influencers of today and tomorrow. But that it's really important to understand the influencers of our our history, whether it's back to the Winfield Scott days or you know in the middle years of. Um, right before World War II and the early days of our incorporation, which, by the way, was 70 years ago. But not only to talk about the people uh, and the influencers, the leaders that made some really tough decisions and collaborated with other people, but just to have some respect for the fact that in putting it into context, maybe decisions that we think wouldn't fly today were the most important decisions to make back then and not to scoff or to discount what those decisions were that were made 50 70 80 years ago and um, that we really need to kind of unpack those and and understand how those decisions were made or what the repercussions were made decades later and then building on that base and establishing that context figure out how to make decisions in the future. Which is, our, is really important for our future leaders of Scottsdale who are members Absolutely. of Scottsdale Leadership, right? And you yourself are a graduate of Scottsdale Leadership Class 9? Absolutely. 21 years ago this month is when we started. I just can't believe that. Where is the time gone? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're still involved in Scottsdale Leadership. One of your current projects is to help develop a history timeline of the city that's displayed at the Scottsdale Civic Center Library. What is the project all about, and um, when can we see it? Well, it's great. Scottsdale Leadership during 2021 is, is celebrating its 35th anniversary. You know, that's maybe doesn't have quite the pizzazz that a 50th anniversary or a 100th anniversary is. But, you know, 35 years is a, a kind of a, a milestone where we can make sure that our founders and our early classes, that we don't lose the the, the memories, the um, the the artifacts, if you will, some of the documents, some of the photos that they took, but to really kind of look at how Scottsdale leadership has evolved and its important importance to the community. So I think the what we're trying to do in planning um, anniversary celebrations that will also include this exhibit at the Civic Center Library is kind of subtly talk about Scottsdale leadership's impact in the community, but more importantly, look at all of the things that have changed in Scottsdale over the last 35 years. Changed, developed, happened, um, new things, things that have gone away, so that when the exhibit opens, it doesn't matter whether you've gone through Scottsdale leadership or not. If you've lived here any part of those 35 years, you you can see and maybe have some nostalgia <laughs> about, oh, yeah, I remembered when there was nothing on the Scottsdale waterfront, and now it's a place that I love to take my family or go to Canal Convergence. Or, or someone else might say, oh, I remember when uh, the – McDowell Sonoran Preserve was just a dream, and now it's 30,000-plus acres. So we want to make sure that we can bring the whole community in to you know, this touchstone of half of the time that Scottsdale's been incorporated. We've had Scottsdale leadership and its graduates making an impact in the community. So it's kind of a double celebration. It's a celebration of Scottsdale leadership and the impact graduates have had, but it's also a celebration of a community that continues to evolve and collaborate. I've never thought of it that way. It's been around for half the yeah. duration of mm -hmm. Scottsdale. Absolutely. That's cool to think about. So I don't know whether that really answers your question, but in addition to doing this exhibit, we're also trying to expand a database that will be not only at the Scottsdale Leadership Office of um, photos of class days and alumni events and graduations, award luncheons, um, and create a chronology of um, important things that have happened in the evolution of Scottsdale Leadership so that um, when we have an anniversary celebration uh, this spring and you know into the future, we'll have that before those things get lost. 
That sounds like a great project. I can't wait to be able to peek into it. And you you talked about photographs and photographs telling a story in our history, right? And um, you've collected a lot of those really fascinating photographs in a book. Um, actually, you've written seven books, right? Seven? Is that yes. um, impressive? Uh, that's seven more than I've written. Um, <laughs> uh, there's one called Scottsdale, published... Uh, in 2007 in conjunction with the Arizona Historical Foundation. And I love this book because of the pictures and the storytelling. And you can really see the seeds of how Scottsdale developed, how the early settlers embraced sports. Um, You can see how we started down the path to being a uh, resort-style town um, and situating Scottsdale as a leader statewide and beyond. How? Tell us about this book, how can people get a hold of it locally? We want to shop local. Well, I think books like that, that it's a part of a nationwide series of photo histories. And again, going back to what I said at the beginning, that sometimes when you say history book, people go, oh, I never read history books, because they think of dense text. And I think because we're such a visual society, certainly that started out with USA Today, and then on the internet, and people just want to scan things. They oftentimes don't want to sit down and read a textbook from cover to cover. So I think, I call it the Mary Poppins approach to history. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down (laughs) a whole lot of photos help the history go down you know what I mean and that I've had several I guess that one of the biggest compliments I had after that book came out and, and I've done several other photo books like that is somebody said to me wow, I hate history, but I picked up your book because somebody told me I should look through it. And two hours later, I realized I'd read the whole thing. And I think that's the first history book I've ever read. And so that was a real compliment to me. But again, looking at the photos and reading the short captions really kind of draws people through and makes it an easy history lesson, um, where, again, you see the people, you see a place, um, it, it may hit a chord with you. Whether you've lived here your whole life or just a few years or you're a visitor, it's something that, oh, gosh, we had something very similar when I grew up in Nebraska or when I you know, grew up in Maine or something that I think those those photos, the 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 cost or the, not costumes, the the fashions that people wore in those particular times. You go, oh, I've seen a picture of my great grandmother wearing that same dress. It it really kind of helps a community that's such a melting pot like Scottsdale. It helps looking at those photos and it t- helps people tie into maybe where they came from or their own family history. Right. So I think um, that's what really interested me when the publisher approached and asked if I would be interested in in doing that type of book that was real heavy on the photos and light on the the information. So it's, uh, again, uh, an easy way to get people to appreciate history. Do you have a favorite photograph in the book? There's so many of them. Uh, a funny story, though, the, the photo that's on the cover is a picture of Winfield Scott and early photo and his wife and several other couples having a picnic in Hole in the Rock um, in Papago Park, long before it was a park. Uh, you know, that whole area was just desolate. And they're all so dressed up. I mean, the men are in coat and tie, and the women are in big fancy dresses. And I just I just visualized them crossing crawling up to Hole in the Rock with their picnic lunch. And and also the funny story is that um, someone got the wrong person as Winfield Scott, and they put it on a plaque in a church in San Diego. And I happened to visit that church because it was one that Winfield Scott had been involved with. And I, I didn't know how to tell him that they had the wrong person. It was actually his brother, not Winfield Scott, oh that they had immortalized in the church. So instead of coming right out and saying, you got the wrong guy, as soon as I got back to Scottsdale, I sent him a copy of the Winfield Scott biography that had 
had a big picture of Winfield Scott on the cover and hoped that they out. would connect the dots. <laughs> right. and they needed to change the plaque. But they, anyway. They probably I, I, weren't mm-hmm. expecting the Scottsdale historian to come yeah. in and find the <laughs> uh, But I love that because, again, it shows how our uh, that particular photo on the cover, it shows how from day one people love to get together they love to enjoy a meal together they loved communing with our beautiful geography and geology and and the great outdoors and it just it i think it really sets the tone for how welcoming and how uh, collaborative we are in scottsdale so how does one go from an idea in your head about a book to publication hmm. Well, in all of my history projects, no matter what the theme, um, I I start by not doing exactly an outline, but a chronology, because I always think in chronological terms. And so I've developed a number of different chronologies about Scottsdale. but it's it, the the photo research is really interesting too. Sometimes I refer to it as that, like the old adage: "If a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound?" And sometimes in doing photo histories, if you can't find a photo of something that represents something in history, a person or a place, it's like how how can you get that history across if you don't have a photo to show for it? Sometimes I wish that I had a good connection with an artist so that I could describe. Something something and they could draw it so that that part of history is among the illustrations. But doing the photo research is sometimes more difficult than doing the actual data research for a book like that. And it just, uh, fortunately, I've had the opportunity to sit in many a living room uh, looking through old photo albums with people and it just getting to know them, getting to know their family histories, and then getting those those gems of old photos scanned and, and then available uh, for history is great. I don't know whether that answers your question. I, but I mean, I think that just looking at the, the photos in can help you identify maybe what's missing and does like what the, does a the lack of photos kind of make you need to write a description that people can picture yes and- absolutely um i think that again there are people that we don't have photos of and the other thing that's kind of interesting too and this kind of gets into the nitty-gritty but i guess with the advent of of internet sales and uh, posting pictures on the internet, people suddenly discovered that some of their photos had some kind of monetary value and they want to hold on to the copyright and want you to buy it. And so that's another dilemma is mm. that how do you get some of those really cool photos that that are copyrighted? So again, it's it, that's when the word descriptions sometimes mm. come into play is that when you can't figure out a way to either find a photo or pay for the rights to the photo, then then the uh, trying to come up with some colorful descriptions of something uh, comes into play. That's interesting. I've never thought about it that way. So. Well, and that's one of the things, if I can also tout uh, one of the most wonderful areas of free photography, retro photography, is what is now housed on the Scottsdale Public Library's website. It was something that I helped them start uh, in 2006 through a, a, a state library grant, but the library in uh, partnership with the Scottsdale Historical Society now has uploaded on the internet free to use over 10,000 images and most of those are photos but the, the among those 10,000 images if you will uh, are, are more than images they're uh, they're oral histories that were done in the 1970s of people that have long since passed away pioneers in Scottsdale that were still alive you can listen to those sometimes they have written transcripts all of the videos that have been done from the Scottsdale history Hall of Fame have been uploaded. Um, there are important documents um, that are there, but it's all um, 
free to use, and people can just go on the library's website and just, uh, I say it's always Alice down the rabbit hole. Once you go on that website and you're looking for one thing, two hours go by and you realize you're still scrolling through and, you know, if uh, like for example, you type in Herb Drinkwater and two or three hundred images come up of him you know, communicating with people in the, the city and you see that wonderful smile of his and uh, anyway it's it's a wonderful resource for people that are interested in whether they're doing a family history or we've had a number of businesses that when they open they want to decorate their lobby with historic photos of Scottsdale um, we have people that, you know, from other parts of the world that um, remember that they vacationed here, but they forgot to take a picture of something and that doesn't even exist anymore, uh, maybe an old guest ranch or something, and they're able to find it. So it's a it's a great resource, and it's really a lot of fun, too, to look at. If, if people are in their attic and uncover a box of old historic photos of Scottsdale, can they donate those photos? How, how do they do that? They can, and they can either donate them to the Histo- uh, Scottsdale Historical Society, or they can donate them to the library. Um, and that's uh, thank you for bringing that up because we're only as good as what comes what comes in through the door that uh, that those are wonderful resources of course and really it has to be Scottsdale or the Scottsdale area if they have something you know that relates to family or something in other parts of the country I would certainly encourage them to be kind and donate them to other historical societies as well um, as we've had some people that uh, live in other parts of the country that are cleaning out after maybe a loved one's passed away and they find some really interesting photos of Scottsdale. They've sent those in as as well. So thank you for bringing that up. When I think about, you know, history, capturing history happening now and into the future, and I, I thought about this as I was reading. Eric Larson has a book on the sinking of the Lusitania oh, during World I love War that book. Uh, One, which is fascinating. Um, but you know, so much of his nonfiction account of that historical moment is based on letters, first-person accounts, um, and with detailed letter writing, really a thing of the past. How will future historians tell our stories? I think the most common length of a tweet is 33 characters, and I'm not sure that's going to cut it in terms of, you know, capturing a lot of detail. So, you know, how, how do we preserve what's happening now for our future? You have really hit on a, a huge dilemma for all of us. The diaries, the letters, the, those, those written pieces of correspondence, and even the hard copy photos. Um, what do we do when everything is on a computer and somebody, you know, has a password protected, you know, wonderful database of emails and 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 photos and whatnot and their you know their descendants or if a business closes and they delete all their files or their system crashes or something I, I, I'm very concerned about that so I do encourage people to to do some documenting and even if they are data files to to think about turning those into local historical societies and libraries because that is a concern and yet the, you all are um, both you and Andrew and Jenna are doing a great service because, again, if we save things like podcasts and 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 YouTube videos and whatnot, that again, we're saving pieces that may take the place of letters and diaries, where you're interviewing people, you're getting their thoughts, and we're preserving something. And along those lines, I'm also encouraging a lot of people to. Not think about always taking off their masks during this time to have a photo. That we need people wearing their masks and doing the things that we're doing, you know, to protect ourselves during this COVID era. If it had only lasted a month, I could see that. But now that it's lasted almost a year already, it's really important for us to show how people have been able to carry on their lives during the pandemic. And that I, I and future historians will be looking for for people in masks. I know I gave a talk last spring on YouTube at the beginning of the pandemic, and I was talking about how we survived the 1918 pandemic. And I spent 
hours and hours trying to find photos of somebody locally wearing a mask. Couldn't find any. And so that's, again, Andrew, like what you said, how, that's where the word descriptions have to come mm-hmm, in, is that mm-hmm. when you can't find a, a photo of it. So let's make sure that we document this. <laughs> I mean, that's a, one of my favorite things going through old albums is taking the picture and you look at the back and you see the handwriting of the description of the photo, like picture of Tom and in the old house or something, 1940, whatever. It's going to be interesting in the future. Like, are people just going to pull up old Instagram posts and look at the description? I mean, it's just mm-hmm. kind of, it's weird to think about, like the way that media is. Yeah, the, I think today's and tomorrow's historians' worst enemy is the delete button. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because people just uh, go, well, uh, this is taking up too much uh, memory on my iPhone or my iPad or whatever, and so I'm just going to clear this up, and they're they're deleting history. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a really good point. Ugh. I made I made a actually made a photo book. A digital photo book that I printed out to have a hard mm. copy for the first time in probably 20 years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all my photos are on my phone. It's don't hardly ever print them out, so it's kind of scary. The, the, the Polaroid is coming back, though, I've heard. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Sometimes when I give a, speaking of Polaroids, I give a walking tours of downtown, and when we walk by the uh, the cowboy sign at, at uh, Brown and Main, or I mean Main and Scottsdale Road, I say, and this used to be Scottsdale's favorite Kodak moment until the love sculpture, and then I realize pretty soon people won't even know mm. what Kodak moment meant. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Be in our vernacular anymore. Yeah. So Scottsdale has a, f- a fun history. It's, um, and of course, you know all about it. But is there are there any moments in Scottsdale's history that you find the most interesting or unusual, or any of your favorite ones? If you look back, I know that's a big question, but just a little insight into into that would be awesome. I think if I could jump into a time machine, back to the future, (laughs) something like that, I would love to be here from about 1949 to 1959. Um, The 50s, uh, and yes, I'm a product of the 50s, but that doesn't really have anything to do with it. That was such a fascinating time for not only fun, but also forward thinking. It was, the opportunities were endless. And that was the transition time that after World War II, that we went from being, having been a farming and ranching community for six decades to suddenly be, uh, you know, tourism was uh, was evolving into from little guest ranches and health camps to our first luxury resorts and um, and our, all of the events that we now hold so dear happened during that time. Whether it was Parada del Sol or spring training or the Arabian Horse Show, um, the even the Phoenix Open was played on right on the border of Scottsdale and Phoenix during the 50s at Arizona Country Club. So events, uh, the fact that after all those years of being an unincorporated town that, you know, the people decided, hey, if we really want to be something, we better get incorporated because really when that era started in 1949, we had two paved streets in Scottsdale. They actually held dances to raise money to oil down the streets to keep the dust down. So the fact that we went through such a a big change, but it was all people getting together, seeing something that needed to be done and then collaborated to get it done. And not everybody agreed. There were many old-timers that figured, hey, we've been this way for all these years, unincorporated. Why do we need to incorporate? One of one of those was Malcolm White. And then he, he, he voiced his objections to incorporation, but then as soon as the you know the majority of people decided that we should incorporate he became our first and very successful eight eight year mayor of Scottsdale and really helped usher us into that new decade so it's again a, a lot of interesting people uh, organizations events and and industries really took place during that that 10 year period very interesting you've shared that Scottsdale is a model city that it is today through the work of some active, courageous, and persistent leaders. 
and some have used the term grit. Can you give some examples of this? Well, I think uh, there are many throughout history, our history, that have, have done great things. Early days, like Winfield Scott and, and his wife Helen and E.O. Brown and a number of, of pre-incorporation people. But I think in more modern times, the, the three projects that I give as an example that, that showed not only individual leadership but collaborative leadership resulted in three of our, our most beloved assets, and that is the grit and determination to create the Indian Bend Wash, mm-hmm. the McDowell-Sonoran Preserve, and the Museum of the West. Um, I think that it's just it shows how when there's a good idea that you don't take no for an answer and that you know you you work on it for the long term i mean taking the indian bend wash it started out with you know it was a problem as Scottsdale was growing that we were being cut in half by annual floods of the wash and something needed to be done the the government thought the, the Army Corps of Engineers suggested the concrete channel, but then Bill Walton, who was a landscape architect but also was serving on the Parks Commission at the time, um, said, hey, how about if we just make it a recreational corridor that also would be flood control? Well, he he did that in, edit, in an editorial in 1964, and it gained momentum, but we had at least one vote that was actually turned down a bond issue to fund it. And finally, the vote was passed in 1973, and then it wasn't actually dedicated until 1985. So when you look at the long-term impact of sticking with the idea, you know, gaining community support, um, gaining the collaboration of other government entities... Same thing with the McDowell-Sonoran Preserve. It started out, you know, we're a band of mostly environmentalists who, as Carla would say, we were the cactus huggers at the time, (laughs) that they started in by the late 1980s, got together in 1990 with the McDowell-Sonoran Land Trust, helped raise our consciousness, people like Jane Rao and Carla and and so many others, Cynthia Lucas, uh, a lot of people from the Greater Pinnacle Peak Homeowners Association, um, businesses got involved, the tourism industry really embraced the idea of saving the McDowell's. It led to the, you know, the public vote in 1995, um, and, you know, there were people that were opposed to that. And it wasn't that they didn't want to preserve the the McDowell's. They thought that maybe there were higher priorities, like transportation issues. That if we were going to modestly increase our sales tax, that maybe it was transportation that should get that money rather than saving the McDowell's. But the will of the people and the, taking some really good leaders who who wouldn't take no for an answer that that happened relatively quickly to bring that to a vote and then through uh, perseverance and and you know some really smart leaders um, and collaborations now we have a 30,000 acre preserve and lastly, the Museum of the West. It was actually proposed over 50 years ago when the STEP committees, the Scottsdale Town Enrichment Program committees, wanted us to have a museum that celebrated our Western heritage. And they that idea was bandied about for maybe 20 years. And then over 30 years ago, a group got together and really started trying to advocate um, getting a Western museum. They had the support of then Mayor Herb Drinkwater and people like Jim Bruner and Paul Messenger and a number of others uh, continued to meet over the long haul and had a few alternate suggestions of other museums that might bring part of their collections here. But then finally, um, in the around 2007-2008, that idea took hold a little bit more. They continued to pursue it with the city and with the tourism industry. And then finally, in 2015, we have this incredible museum that opened in our downtown area um, that within a year of opening became an affiliate of the Smithsonian. So Mm. once again, you talk about long-term stick of our leaders that really had some grit and determination. And again, there were a lot of naysayers along the road. But 
you know, sometimes listening to the naysayers improves the idea and improves the community collaboration. So sometimes it takes that grit and backbone, but also big ears that you not only need to be determined, but you also have to have an open mind and an open heart to listen to the people who are saying, that's not what we want. Well, what is it that you want? Or where can we meet in the middle? And what would make you more adaptable to this idea? And so those are just three examples that uh, I've called those the the big, hairy, audacious ideas of Scottsdale, and there are others that would qualify as well. One other was the Civic Center, that the citizens turned that down as a bond issue back in the in the mid '60s, and finally passed the bond issue that funded City Hall and and the Civic Center Library. So, once again, uh, that's a really long-winded answer, oh, no, but but it's uh, it it really is indicative of of how we've been able to have such such good leaders and good followers too that have all worked together to make something great happen for our community and certainly that that courage and that perseverance and the collaboration of all those leaders led to things uh, that I can't imagine Scottsdale without. Mm. I mean, we are defined by the preserve and the museum and the Indian Ben Wash and the Civic Center, all of those things. Well, and you know, there are some things that maybe the idea was a few years before its time. I, I, if you may recall, in the late 1990s, there was a vote to redo the waterfront, and people turned it down. And yet, the the idea was tweaked, and we continued to work with SRP and with the city and with the arts community and developers. And even though that concept, uh, the canals, was was defeated, again, it was a great idea to redevelop and make what was kind of an eyesore um, that because it was just the back of buildings and it was a functional canal it wasn't something that was a destination and with you know some wonderful collaborations um, now it's it's the place to be in old town scottsdale uh, you know a 24 7 year-round destination so once again sometimes ideas are a little ahead of their time and they just need to be tweaked same thing with the demise of los arcos and the need to redevelop the mcdowell corridor that was a thorny issue for years and yet people stuck to it and kept coming up with new ideas and eh, that maybe that's not going to work maybe this one will and now we've got sky song and we've got a whole new concept of living and working and and recreational facilities all along the mcdowell corridor so it's again it just and I think part of it too, and I see this from having grown up elsewhere and then come here, is that because we're a melting pot of people from all over the United States and the world, plus people that grew up here, is that we're a very open and welcoming community. And from some of the places that I've lived and worked previously, it's almost like you had to have some family pedigree in order to be on a board or get elected to something or to, to make a difference. Here, anybody that has an idea and that wants to volunteer or serve is welcomed. And and we have great programs like Scottsdale Leadership and, and a few other programs that really help grow our leaders here and help people plug into those things that they might be passionate about and they don't have to have some some you know long lineage of well my family is this so I, I deserve a spot on your board uh, not to say that that's a bad thing in other communities if it works for them great but here it's so easy to get involved all you have to do is want to and that's a theme we've heard over and over is you need to be able to listen to people which helps collaboration and you need to not be stuck in your ways, be able to uh, pivot a little bit. I mean, that's a Scottsdale leadership mantra. And uh, if leaders can do that, great things can happen. Joan, you grew up in Ohio, but have traveled the world throughout your life. Tell us about that journey and what led you to Scottsdale. Well, gosh, growing up in the Cincinnati area was a wonderful childhood during the 50s and uh, 60s, uh, but 
as others have said, I had it with snow and ice and whatever. And after I graduated from Ohio State, and yes, I'm a proud Buckeye, (laughs) that uh, I was really hoping that to find warmer places to be. But that wasn't always my decision after I graduated, because my first career was actually, I was a public affairs officer in the Air Force. And uh, but luckily, my first assignment, which uh, I did just a week after graduation from Ohio State, was I was sent to San Antonio for my first assignment, and and then from there I came here to Luke Air Force Base in the 1970s, and I was a public affairs officer there, and that certainly introduced me to how wonderful this area was. And sometimes we made the long drive from. Luke over to Scottsdale to go to dinner at different places, Trader Vic's in downtown Scottsdale at the time on Fifth Avenue and up to Riata Pass, up in the Pinnacle Peak area. And it's, uh, I also met my, my husband, uh, who unfortunately I lost several years ago to cancer, but he was a fighter pilot at Luke, and we just knew we wanted to live back here eventually. Uh, took a few other Air Force assignments um, and then ended up uh, as a public affairs officer in the Air Force Reserve at the Pentagon on the Air Force press desk, which was great. So that gave me an opportunity to live and work in Washington, D.C. as well. Um, I started my civilian career then. Uh, I was the public relations director for a couple of regional airlines, and uh, one in Washington, D.C. area, and one in New York City. And then uh, in 1991, after always coming here for vacations, we decided to move here, and I was the PR director for the Scottsdale Chamber of Commerce and Convention and Visitors Bureau, which were all together at that time. And then um, my husband was a pilot for Southwest, and it was we just immediately fell into the wonderful lifestyle of Scottsdale. And while I was at the chamber, I just realized, um, it, particularly through you know working with the the Convention and Visitors Bureau, how interested people were in Scottsdale history. And so, after seven years uh, doing that um, job, I just thought, well, I think I'll try my hand at being a freelance historian at the time and that's when the book deals came my way and anyway the rest as they say is my history (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for and i forgot you did mention that i lived all over the world one of my air force assignments was a year spent in south korea one of those bases and and again um, allowed me to travel quite extensively in the in the asian area so yeah it was it was fascinating but it always I always wanted to come back here. Well, thank you for your service to mm-hmm. our country and to our community. Um, you know, let's let's talk awards and recognition because you have a lot. <laughs> I I rather talk about other people's awards <laughs> and, and nominate people for awards. Uh, well, and I you know, and I that speaks to your humility and I think why people recognize you, you know, as a, as a leader. Um, Scottsdale History Hall of Fame 2016, Scottsdale Public Library Spirit of Literacy Award in 2014, Scottsdale Leadership Frank Hodges Alumni Achievement Award in 2002, Scottsdale Woman of the Year in 2002, and you received the Governor's Heritage Preservation Honor Award in 2020. So you, you are a recognized and respected leader and a difference maker, and I think, you know, when you get an award, it it really serves as inspiration for other people, and it's important, you know. And and how how do you hope to inspire others? Whether it's through being a recipient of these awards, or or all of the time you put into volunteering to teach and to give back to our community. Um, well, how do you hope to inspire others through through all of that work that you do for Scottsdale? Gosh, that's a you've you've, <laughs> you've asked me a really difficult question. I guess I just I just want to share the some of the 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 gifts that I have been given um, by being inspired by others and to just 
to, again, show people that, as I said earlier, you don't have to have a long pedigree and you don't have to have, you don't have to be a billionaire and you don't, you know, necessarily have to be an elected official. And again, I have the most respect for all of those categories I've just mentioned. But you can just be a regular Joe or a regular Joan in my case, (laughs) and you can just figure out what makes a difference to you and then do it. And when you're, you know, wasn't it President Reagan that had a sign on his desk that says it's amazing the things you can accomplish if you don't care about who gets the credit? And that's the thing. It's like it's so important to just do it and to have a passion and to and to just show not by purposely being a role model, but to show people that you're willing to get your hands dirty, you're willing to to have a passion and pursue it and and also to to be a team player um, and to listen to what other people have to say, but to also be among other people who inspire you. And if if I can convey any of those things to other people, then I feel like I have a modest amount of success. But I gain inspiration from people every day. And again, that's, I think, one of the 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 best parts of being a historian or retropreneur or whatever I call myself, um, is that I get to meet so many inspirational people. And I just, I feel like I have a, a part of them in me after I've I've met with them, I I, I soak them up, <laughs> whether they're living or they're a past person that I've researched. It's it's just it's fascinating. And anyway, I I've, I'm inspired by others, and I I I can't even imagine that I would be an inspiration to anybody else. <laughs> In true historian fashion, you're taking your inspiration and passing it on to other people, just like history. All right. Well, it's return of the rapid fire round, so we're just going to hit you up with a bunch of questions, just short answers, first thing that comes to your head. And the first one is, what is your favorite place in Scottsdale? Oh, man. Scottsdale itself. Oh, I I can't just narrow it down to one place. I love the preserve. I love the Museum of the West. I love to walk around downtown Scottsdale. I love the new Scottsdale Heritage Connection Center at the Civic Center Library. I love standing um, in front of the love sculpture or the cowboy sign. It just... There are so many places that I absolutely love in Scottsdale. I, I can't possibly narrow it. It's like asking who your favorite child is or something, you know, I think <laughs> or who we, your best friend is. We so need you a, can't. a to-do list in Scottsdale and just put mm-hmm. all this stuff yeah. that John Jones listed. Jones' hips, yeah. places to visit in Scottsdale. <laughs> the uh, stadium. I mean, just there's so many places. Wow, Westworld. Oh, Nice. What's your favorite book? Ah. <sighs> I am I read constantly. I'm, I take my Kindle everywhere and occasionally a hard copy book. I guess over the last couple of years, I, I, a couple of books come to mind. I loved the biography of Sandra Day O'Connor uh, first. Um, it was so much fun to read uh, something that where I knew a lot of the people in it because the author talked to so many of her her um, friends in the local area, but it was also so inspirational to see how she evolved as a leader. Um, So I love that one. Um, You know, one that I read several years ago that has really come back to me during the the pandemic and all of our isolation is A Gentleman of Moscow. There, I don't know whether you've read that, but it's a great story of a man who was confined to a hotel for decades, and yet he made the most of it, and he met people, and he had great experiences, and it. W- I've thought about that book so much during the pandemic and thought, how can we make the the best of a, of a confinement situation and, and lead a good and interesting life. Your favorite Scottsdale restaurant? It used to be Don and Charlie's. Oh. I miss that restaurant so much. Uh, 
Um, and once again, I go for the history ones. I love Los Olivos. I love mm-hmm, the Sugar mm-hmm. Bowl. Um, gosh, uh, there are so many great restaurants, but I'll go. I'll go with the old favorites. <laughs> Would you rather ride a bike, ride a horse, or drive a car? I'd actually rather walk, but. <laughs> well, and Scottsdale's uh, so walkable absolutely. downtown or in the preserve. Absolutely, what, it's karaoke night. What song are you singing? Oh, dear. Well, funny, the year that I spent in South Korea, because I was the public affairs officer on the base, this was in 79-80, long before we really embraced karaoke. Well, they did. And and after I'd go to all of these Chamber of Commerce dinners off base, they would always end with karaoke. And the, the one song that we all used to sing that the Koreans knew the words to were, You Are My Sunshine. Oh, <laughs> classic. So I can't carry a tune in a bucket, but at least if if you're in a group and everybody's singing it out loud, it would be "You Are My Sunshine." Or I always revert back to the Ohio State fight song. Oh, How's wow. that? <laughs> <laughs> I have to get my Buckeye shot in there somewhere. <laughs> if you could meet someone from Scottsdale's history, who would it be? Winfield Scott. He's in fact a. a have emceed the Winfield Scott Founders Day event for several years. And a couple of years ago, a lady came up to me afterwards and said, do you have a crush on Winfield Scott? And I said, I believe I do. (laughs) (laughs) A history crush, that is. Final question, Joan. In season one, we asked our guests, what leadership legacy would you like to leave behind? We have a different question for you today. Why is history so important to leadership and our future here in Scottsdale? It, you know, it's it's one of those things that um, a Danish uh, architect said this, quote, we shouldn't live in the past, but the past should live in us. And I think as a good leader, you really need to know the past, how decisions were made in their context, and how those decisions have impacted past generations so that you can use those lessons so that you can make wise decisions that for the present and the future. And again, it's a respect for those people making those tough decisions and how they collaborated in the past and how those decisions turned out. And so I think a real quality for leaders is to put put the past in the proper context and really know those those things that have happened in the past, why they happened and what the repercussions were so that they can really take that and go to the future. So again, they can't live in the past and say our best days are behind us. Our best days are really in front of us, but we should have that past living in us to face the future with optimism and an opportunity. Fantastic. Joan, thanks for joining us today. Um, it's been a pleasure. Oh, you guys just- are wonderful. Thank you for saving and creating Scottsdale history through all the leaders that you have, uh, have interviewed. Keep it up. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, any links that um, we've discussed today, we can put in the show notes. I think maybe we'll talk, we'll put the links to the Scottsdale Library, um, the photos and um, anything else you can find there. Um, Any more information you want to know about Scottsdale Leadership, you can go to scottsdaleleadership.org and find it there. If you know anyone interested in joining um, our next uh, core program at Scottsdale Leadership, please feel free to reach out to um, one of us in Scottsdale Leadership. Um, We're looking forward to this season, both Jenna and I, and hopefully we can um, keep bringing some interesting guests. Um, Until our next episode, everyone stay safe.